Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvik. Kurt Sandvig, and on this edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk more about curses. Why? Well, one, because I want to. It's my show. It's You just heard my name. And two, a story just came up in the news recently about something that you'll hear in a minute in Paranormal News. So I figured, you know what? Now is the time to do another Cursed Treasure episode. But first, as always... We got shout-outs. Shout-outs to Chris, Jen, Damien and Daniel, Dusty, Eric, Joe, Marisol, Tanya, Aaron, Alexandra, Amy, April, Ashley, Becca, Brandon, Chuck, Cole, Dan, Darth, Pikachu, Donald, Dorian, Isabel, Jason, Joshua, Kira, Lauren and Phil Mangano, Lauren McCune, hey howdy, hi, the Lindsay Hahn, Manning, Martin, Michael, Milldog, Robin, the Sean Bishop, Sherry, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Trudy, Vanessa, Veronica, Vicky, Art Muffin, Autumn, Carolyn, Cindy, Derek, Dill, Ezra, George, Harley, Heidi, Roger, Ian, Izzardbreath, Jeff T, Juliana, Kelly, Carrie, Connie, Christopher, Lawrence, Leo, Liam, Ian, Loki, Megan, Nanashi, Paul, Ricardo, Russell, Seth, Scustin, Spencer, Suzanne, Tim, Void Tech, Audra, Bob, Cindy, Elizabeth, Gamerfan, J Mark, J Jerry, Kenneth, Kim, Laura, Paula, Ricardo, Simon, Terminal Animal, what's that? Will, Alicia, and Jen. With two special shout-outs, of course, as always, to Joe Teague and Stitch. This episode of Paranormal Almanac is brought to you, produced by Chris Jones and Jen Richter. Reminder to Chris Jones and to Jen Richter that as producers, at a Patreon level, you can head on over to patreon.com to find more about that, but for you two, since you are producers, you get to choose a topic for a future episode. So let me know what topic you want me to work on. And again, for those who are who have been asking, you can actually send me stuff to Paranormal Almanac or Kurt Zambig at 1812 West Burbank Boulevard, number 7102, Burbank, California, 91506. Thank you to everybody that's already checked in and sent me some stuff. It's been fantastic. All righty, let's get right on in. To paranormal news. What time is it? It's time for paranormal news. The first story in paranormal news Sasquatch snag. Bigfoot festival postponed until May because of growing COVID cases. That's right, COVID is affecting Bigfoot, whether we like it or not. This one comes out of Marion, North Carolina. And they say that due to an increase in COVID numbers and the continued spread of COVID-19 in Western North Carolina, the 2021 WNC Bigfoot Festival has been postponed until Friday, May 27th and Saturday, May 28th, 2022. They hope that by uh, May of 2022, things will be safer. So do I. I would love to go to this festival. I actually reached out to them and I'm going to hear, hopefully hear back from them soon about that. Up next in Paranormal News. A cursed treasure found 
Question marks? Divers search sunken Nazi steamer ship for signs of the legendary Lost Amber Room. Nearly a year after it was discovered off the coast of Poland, a sunken Nazi steamer ship is being searched by a team of divers in the hopes that it might contain the legendary Lost Amber Room. The discovery of the downed vessel, known as the Karlsruhe, last autumn sparked considerable speculation that the wreckage could be the final resting place of the ornate set of gold and amber panels that was pilfered from a Russian palace by the Nazis during World War II and obviously vanished. Now they say that the uh, the steamer ship departed from a city of Kalkonisberg, which was the last known whereabouts of the stolen amber room. So there is evidence or information that kind of points them in that direction. Now they hope that the location might finally have been found were raised even further this past December when an initial dive at the wreckage <clears throat> Whoa, as my voice cracked, I get so excited, revealed that the ship contained specially designed crates with rubber seals that were seemingly intended to, pr to protect precious cargo. Now, they initially tried to do it in May. They tried to go down there in May, but it finally got underway last week, I believe it was. I actually am following them on uh, Facebook. You guys can follow them on Facebook as well. Let me uh, click on their Facebook page. It is... Baltic Tech. So if you go to uh, Facebook and you look up Baltic Tech, B-A-L-T-I-C-T-E-C-H, they actually do day-by-day -day, uh, updates on their dives. They're, they're a uh, scuba diving center, a good group of guys from everything that I can read so far. Now, I will say they have not found the Amber Room yet. They have confirmed, though, that the wreck is definitely the Karlsruhe, so they're in the right ship at least the ship that they thought it was. They've confirmed that is the ship. They're on day eight. They're are, they are running out of days, though. They only have a certain time frame to go down there. So fingers crossed that the Amber Room will be found in this ship. I mean, it's it's a big ship. It's exactly where they found it. You know, they, they know it's the right ship. So, again, fingers crossed that this treasure will finally be found. All righty, up next in Paranormal News... This is a YouTube video with absolutely no noise. It's a dick move on my part. But the story says, pub ghost moves chair while woman is sat next to it. A pub manager fears the boozer's resident spook, nicknamed Lady Lansdowne, may leave staffs too scared to come into work. As spooky footage shows a chair tucking itself under the table and a chalkboard moving on its own. CCTV footage captured the moment a chair apparently moves on its own while Haley Budd was taking a break from serving thirsty punters at the Lansdowne Pub in Cardiff, uh, southeast Wales. It's around 7.30 p.m. Now, this was just uh, uh, posted on September 7th. They said that Haley, who has worked behind the bar for eight years, said it's not the first time a creepy incident has happened at the pub, and it's rumored to be haunted by the ghost of a woman dubbed by regulars as Lady Lansdowne. So I'm going to play the video. Like I said, it's silent, so you're not going to hear crap, but uh, it's a woman sitting at, the, at a table, small table, four chairs around it, facing away from the camera, kind of. And the chair moves. Her foot doesn't. So, yeah. And she kind of like, what the hell? Then it looks under the table. I will post this to the Facebook page, both the fan page and the Paranormal Almanac page, because you both 
You should see it. It is very interesting. It looks like someone just pushed in a chair, but there is nobody standing there. And she seems to be a little bit startled, looks under the under the table, make sure she didn't do it. Um, let me go ahead a little bit. All right, so the next part actually has some sound. But unfortunately, the chalkboard's already moving by this point. And that's about it. So there, I mean, yeah, it's neat. It's very neat. Like I say, I'll post it to both Facebook pages. It's very interesting to watch. I don't know what to think of the second part, but the chair, yeah, that looks to me like somebody pushing in a chair, someone we can't see. All righty, I talked about this one on the Facebook page. I actually had to post it as soon as I saw it, but uh, the Loch Ness Monster might have been, not a monster, might have been spotted on sonar. They say the latest sighting comes by way of a tourist who reported a rare occurrence when the legendary creature has been spotted on sonar. It uh, happened on August 26th. Benjamin Scanlon and his family were vacationing at the, uh, at the lock, and um, they decided to go out into the water and use a sonar. While cruising around, he was stunned to see the sonar of the ship picked up a peculiar, peculiar anomaly in the water. The, uh, the monitor shows this ginormous thing, and I mean, it does, it does show, but I don't know enough about sonar to say what the hell it is, but it's, it shows something, an object that is around 10 to 13 feet in length and lurking at a depth of around 65 feet. So I think it's very cool. He actually had two sonar spottings um, that from that day, from that trip, I should say. There's one from 58.4 feet, again, a fairly big sighting. Is it a school of fish? Is it a, a ginormous eel? Or is it Nessie? I do not know. I wasn't there. Alrighty, up next in Paranormal News. Bigfoot Expo, Alaska's first sasquatch theme event to focus on Bigfoot. It's called Boreal Bigfoot Expo, September 4th. Oh, wait, September 4th. Ah, oh, just passed. Dag nabbit. It happened. It happened on September 4th at the Civic Center in Fairbanks, Alaska. Oh, man, I had this one on last the last uh, episode, and I didn't do it. So sorry for everybody in Alaska or near Alaska. But it looked like it was going to be a very, very neat festival. I like the fact that so many uh, Bigfoot festivals are popping up all over the place. Let's keep that happening. Let's do a few more in Southern California. I'll, I'll gladly go to them. I'll gladly speak at them. Whatever you need. Alrighty, up next in Paranormal News, Demi Lovato is a self-proclaimed UFO experiencer in the unidentified trailer. That's right, the Demi, the Demi Lovato. I talked about this uh, previously, and I'm hoping to get her on the show. I asked, I reached out to her. Let's see what happens. But uh, she's got a new show called Unidentified with Demi Lovato. It's on the uh, History Channel. She said, I had this crazy experience that happened to me in Joshua Tree. My goal is to find out what really happened. So I'll watch it. I'll try it out. No no judgment on Demi Lovato at all. Hey, if she's doing a show on, on, on aliens, I want to watch it. I watched um, Jack Osborne's show on ghosts. Just They're, they're people. Just because they're celebrities doesn't mean crap. They're people. All righty, up next in Paranormal News, a mayor shares shocking video of a ghost attacking a guard. Or as I like to say, there seems to be a video of a CCT camera, a uh, video camera of a guy tripping himself and then freaking out about the fact that he was tripped. So it's in the little snippet. Oh, no, I guess he's still, no, he's still being something. Something's going on. All right, I take it back. I take back what I said. I apologize that I made him seem like he was crazy. The uh, Colombian mayor said that I wanted to share this video with you today, emphasizing that as mayor, I have the conviction that faith has insurmountable powers. Uh, this was Jose Manuel 
Rios Morales, mayor of Armenia, um, in Colombia, I guess. Uh, on he did this on the third, and it's a it's a phantom beating up a guard. He says that this guy, this office guard, was walking around. They're conducting their nightly patrols, and um, he's strolling down the hallway before he gets like like I thought, tripped into a wall. But then he tries to crawl along the ground where he appears to be being attacked by something. I don't know what to make of it. Um, it uh, the footage ends when two other watchmen or guards, whatever you want to call them, you know, like come running over and like, dude, what the hell are you doing, man? The mayor said that he's assured that the, that, uh, you know, he's gotten some people, paranormal investigators to go and look at it. He said, look, I don't want to freak anybody out. I went and talked to religious leaders, but something happened. And yeah, I mean, there's a video, something happened. I'll throw that video up on both Facebook pages as well. If I forget, just remind me, be like, hey, dude, you didn't post them. And I will gladly post them. All righty. Last up in paranormal news, CIA paranormal program finds new life in Utah. Paul Smith's psychic school is located in an industrial park on the outskirts of Cedar City. It's called Remote Viewing Instructional Services. Inside, half a dozen students hailing from Colorado all the way up to Canada are practicing for their very first session. It's called Remote Viewing. It's a form of extrasensory perception where practitioners learn that to describe an object which might be on the other side of the world without using any of their five senses. Now, in this version, in his class, I should say, a manager gives a viewer a number. It represents a target that could be anywhere from the Eiffel Tower to a terrorist location, but the students don't know what it is. The viewer listens to the number, and then something, they, you know, they try to find something. He says, I teach them how to get to that number, and then their subconscious goes out and finds out what that target is from. There's a little hand-waving going on here because we don't exactly know how it works, but, we, but it does work if you set people up in the right circumstances. He said he learned the technique as a recruit in the CIA. He said, while I was there, while I was in what has become known as the Stargate program, I was an operational remote viewer, which meant that I actually did applied remote viewing projects to try and gain intelligence information from potential foreign threats. He says those threats included the Soviet Union, Chinese, and narco traffickers. He, uh, he said he grew up in a small town in Nevada, joined the army, and that is when he was recruited into Stargate. The program lasted from 1978 to 1995. He says that even though it was abandoned by the military, he says there is something to it. My own particular approach is the closest to the original that is actually available out there. Well, let me skip ahead a little bit. Yeah, that's about it. He says he's doing it without the CIA backing, but from what he learned in the CIA. So if you guys want to learn how to be a remote viewer or if you think you have that ability, well, there's a place in Cedar City, Iowa, or Cedar City, sorry, Cedar City, Utah, and his classes cost around three grand. So if you got three grand, you got the ability, and you can be in Utah, fuck it. Why not? Try it out. See what happens. All righty, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. We are back. That's right. Yet another cursed episode. Some of you absolutely hate them. Others don't really talk about them. So it's my show. I figured let's do another one. Let's do another one now. Now, I was initially going to do this episode 
in a few months. I had the outline ready, but as you heard in Paranormal News, there was an update, possible update, to the finding of the Amber Room. So I figured, well, the outline's ready. Why wait? Let's just do it now. Now, everyone knows about Oak Island, which, look, I still love. I would love to do an episode from Oak Island. That's what I'm asking right now. So that if anybody that is connected to Oak Island or the TV show or History Channel, I would love to just do an episode, do a live episode from Oak Island of Paranormal Almanac. If none of the cast are available, that's fine. Just let me do an episode from the island. I think that'd be a lot of fun. But, oh, I guess I should say, you know, like, so Oak Island, not on this list. Everyone knows about the King Tut curse, not on this list. So let's talk about some other cursed treasures. Now, this first one is the reason that I started doing the outline for this episode a while ago, because I heard about it. I don't know, not that long ago. I couldn't tell you exactly when I first heard about this treasure, but I was like, come on, no way, seriously? Because it, it's kind of connected, as you'll hear, to the Hollywood Bowl, which I absolutely love the Hollywood Bowl. Before the pandemic, I loved going to the Hollywood Bowl. I would go there with Joe Teague and his wife, Elisa. They were fantastic hosts. Loved going there. And I was like, there is a treasure that is supposedly cursed somewhere right by there? Hmm. Let's talk about it. It's called the Kawanga Pass Treasure. And it says beneath this tree lies the treasure. So we already know. If you guys are listening right now, stop listening. Or if you're driving over to the Hollywood Bowl, look around, find the tree and start digging. You're going to get the treasure and it's cursed. What the hell? Um, There's more to it. Hold on. So this one actually begins in 1864 when four or five soldiers, it's kind of hard to figure out depending on where you get your information. Some say 10, some say six, but it seems like it was four or five soldiers were sent by President Benito Juarez to San Francisco with a treasure trove of then valued $200,000 worth of silver and gold coins, not to mention diamonds and pearls and other heirlooms, if you will, treasure. They set out with treasure, $200,000 worth of treasure to buy guns for the democratic struggle to purchase, like, you know, like, you know get all the munitions for the Mexican war. Now, the curse of the treasure death starts soon. How soon? Well, along the way, one of the men died. The men feared that it was by a French secret agent, though, not by a curse, like they thought the French were after the treasure. So the other three or four or five, they separate the loot into three or four bundles. And they bury this, these bundles, these leather round wrap bundles for safekeeping while they deal with his death. Now, little did they know, though, that a guy named Diego Morena actually saw them bury the treasure. And as soon as they left with the body, boom, he dug it up and took off south stopping in the mountains above Los Angeles in what is now known as the Coanga Pass. But then it was known as El Portozuelo, the little doorway. I know I didn't say that right. Now, he stops there for the night and stays in a local tavern in a town called La Nopalera, cactus patch, basically. But he has a dream that night that he would die if he brought the treasure to L.A. So, legend says it's very legend-based, this whole story. Legend says that he woke up from the dream and immediately goes a little ways out of town and buries the treasure, but bam, curse strikes again, 
and he dies. So that's it. He Denver made it to the end of the nearby town and a story. Nope. Nope. Legend says he was so worried about the dream that he told his friend who had let him stay with him for a night named Jesus Martinez where it was buried. He says, and listen closely, because this is supposedly the clue to the treasure. On the side of the pass, about halfway from the tavern to the summit on the hillside opposite the main road, beneath this tree lies the treasure. Now, before we get to Jesus, let's go back to those remaining guards or whatever you want to call them, the guys that, like, took off to San Francisco. So they return to claim their treasure that they buried, but they find that, shocker, spoiler, it's been dug up. So they immediately start suspecting each other. Two of the guys start arguing and end up killing each other. So curse strike, what, three and four. Yep, three and four. We're up to four now. Now the third guy was actually caught and tried for their deaths, but he was exonerated. But he would later die breaking up a fight in a bar he owned near Tombstone, Arizona. So kind of curse strike five, the Coanga Pass treasure curse strike five, kind of. All right, let's cut back. Wait, let me see if I can do a back. Nope. 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 There we go. Okay, let's cut back to Jesus. So Jesus and his stepson, Jose Correa, 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 who head out, they go, they like, let, let's go find that treasure. We heard what he said, that guy said. He said it's right by this tree. He gave us that little, like, really bad directions. So they go out to find the treasure. And, yep, you guessed it, curse strike six. Jesus has a heart attack, and he dies while digging it up. Maybe curse strike seven, but ten years later, that stepson, Jose, he dies in a shootout in Los Angeles. Kind of, kind of curse. Not really. I mean, these guys, they lived on for a while and then died. That's what happens to everybody. You live on for a while and then you die. I don't really call that part the curse, but we'll still say strike seven. All right, back to the treasure. So all it was always, you know, was unfound. It was quiet until a small bit of the treasure was found in 1885 by a Basque shepherd. Now, this is serious grain of salt time because no name or other info is given to him, but legend says he didn't know that he'd only found one of the four or five hidden treasures. So he goes, um, all right, cool. I'll take the treasure and I'll use it to fund a trip back to my hometown in Spain. But he dies when he falls overboard on the ship that is taking him back to Spain and sank under the weight of the heavy treasure he had sewn into his clothes. That's a good legend story. I don't know if I'd buy it. So let's say curse strike eight. But Kurt here, that's just a shitty curse. This guy didn't know anything about the curse. He wasn't out looking for it. Hell, in most sites he said that, it's, that it wasn't even him that found it. It was just grazing sheep that stumbled upon the treasure. So I'm calling dick move curse. That's, that's dick move strike one on this one. That guy should not have been cursed at all. Alrighty, anyhow, so word goes around for a very long time and various people search for the treasure with no luck 
until 1939, just seven months before the first segment of the one-and-a-half-mile Coenga Pass Freeway opened with a Pacific Electric trolley running down the middle. That's when oil tycoon Henry Jones had heard about the treasure, and he joins forces with Walter Combs, who was a mechanic from Bakersfield, and his uncle, Enos Combs, who is a inventor, I guess? So they use Enos's homemade metal detector, and they thought, hey, we know the location of this treasure. That location, for whatever reason, they don't really ever say why Henry Jones, by the way, I think it's very cool that it's Henry Jones that is searching for a treasure because that's fucking Indiana Jones's name, man. This guy's Indiana Jones, but you know, shitty. All right, so he goes, you know what? I know exactly where this treasure is. It is under the parking lot behind the Hollywood Bowl itself. They said it was buried 15 feet below the parking lot. Never really saying why they ever thought that. Fun fact, I have been in that parking lot. I have been to a place that Henry Jones searched for treasure. That's freaking cool. All righty, so they're there. It's November 27th, 1939. A film crew watches as Henry alone because the Combs were like, you know what? Everybody keeps talking about this curse a lot. Like a lot, a lot. All these news people, everybody that's now... I don't want to curse. And they left. So Henry Jones starts digging. And he digs. And digs. And digs. I'm going to do two more of these. And digs. And digs for 24 days. For 24 days, tour buses came by every hour to watch. Vendors had set up shops selling food and making, you know, like crap. Like Souvenirs, if you will. But nope, no treasure was found. Henry Jones walks away despondent, saying, eh, crap, I guess I got it wrong. And that's when Curse Strike 9 happens, because Henry Jones committed suicide because of the failure just a month later. Sadly. Now, other treasure seekers were actually denied permits year after year. They also thought it was somewhere right around the Hollywood Bowl. But every time they would go and try and get a permit, the city would be like, yeah, you know what, we already had one guy that committed suicide. No, thank you. They weren't given permits. So, 1974 comes around. 1974. Last one was 1939. 1974, the board goes... Yeah, all right, we'll give William W. Boyle of Norwalk a one-day $200 permit to find the treasure because he has a secret weapon. That's right. William Boyle had his newfangled mineral rod, which he claimed could point up to gold, could point to gold up to 10 miles away. Spoiler, he didn't find anything, but he survived the curse. That's right. Curse strike 10? Nope. Not William Boyle. So, now it's been, what, about 1974? It's been, like, what, 50 years since then? Just about 50 years? Well, a lot of treasure hunters online think that the treasure is definitely real and is still out there in Whitley Heights saying that the description would seem to indicate that it's likely, quote, on the side of the pass, about halfway from the tavern 
to the summit on the hillside opposite the main road leads you to Whitley Hills. All right, I'm putting it out there. If you're local, like I am, if you're not afraid of a curse, like I'm not, because I am totally afraid of curse, there could still be four or five or more leather-bound bundles of treasure out there by the Hollywood Bowl still waiting to be discovered. Oh, and by the way, the treasure is expected to be worth $3.2 million in today's money. Yeah, right there by the Hollywood Bowl. Alrighty, let's move on to another cursed treasure. And uh, up next is a big curse. It's just not the treasure itself, but the whole island the treasure is on is actually cursed. And nope, I'm still not talking about Hoke Island. What I am talking about, though, is Charles Island off the coast of Milford, Connecticut. It was once even nicknamed Thrice Cursed Island. All right, let's check off the curses first. The first curse on the island was by the local Pogasset. Pogasset? That's a, a Native American chief in 1639. Now, depending on where you get your info, it's either because of a bad trading deal with European settlers or because the chief was pissed over the kidnapping of his daughter. And I got to say, both seem very likely and both well worth a curse. All righty, so let's move forward in time. Is it this one? Yes. To 1699, when one Captain William Kidd stopped on the island. Now, many experts think that he buried part of his treasure on Charles Island, then cursed the land, and the rest of it on Gardner Island before he was caught and executed. Alrighty, so that's two curses. What about the third curse? Well, we have to go way back in time. To 1525 to an insanely huge grain of salt, salt block kind of grain of salt story about a legend that happened on Charles Island when a Mexican emperor named Guatmozin, Guatmozin hid his treasure in a cave in Mexico. But Cortez tried to find the location of it, executes Guatmozin, sure, I don't know how to say his name, in 1525, who cursed the treasure, of course, and Cortez never found it. Okay. Stay with me. We're actually time traveling again. To 1721, when a group of Connecticut sailors stumbled across that treasure. That's right, Guatemalan's treasure in a cave in Mexico. Sure, why not? It hasn't ever been written about. It's never been proven that it happened, but let's keep going with this legend. So they return home. Remember, they're Connecticut sailors. They return back to Connecticut with it. Now, a series of disasters befall the men because curse uh let's see four out of five of them die so the last guy takes the treasure to charles island and buries it there boom cursing the island with guatmatsen's curse so that original curse from guatmatsen killed four out of the five guys the fifth guy says well i'm just gonna bury it over here and he buries it on thrice cursed island is that what it's called? Thrice Cursed Island? Sure, why not? Um, yeah, Thrice Cursed Island. Yeah, yeah, all right, so we're good. All right, so we got all Thrice Curses in there. So, since 
Since then, many, many, many people have searched for the treasure there. But just like the Coanga Pass treasure, this island has changed a lot since back then. It's been a yacht club, an amusement park, military installations in World War I, and a nuclear power plant. Today, it's part of the Silver Sands State Park and acts as a natural area preserve, home to the largest, Connecticut's largest breeding colonies of herons and egrets. Visitors seeking treasure are warned to be wary of the strength of the tides which rush in to separate the island from the mainland. So, if you're local there and thrice curses doesn't bother you, go search for a treasure or two there because there seems to be a whole lot of treasures there. Now, remember any treasure hunters who hear about a treasure on Paranormal Almanac are required by curse to give me a portion of the treasure. Hmm. I was going to say, I will, like, look, if it's, if three is thrice, because I'm trying to curse the island right now, I'm trying to add to the curse. All right, if, if one is once, two is twice, three is thrice, what is four? I actually, I don't think I know this. Since I don't want to look it up while I'm talking to you guys, or rambling, I should say, let's just say I will force that's F-O-U-R-C-E. I will force curse the treasure. That's right. Force cursed treasure is on Charles Island. All right. Two stories, both with a lot of treasure, might still be out there. So let's keep on moving on to, yep, another cursed treasure that might still be out there. This one is called the Lost Dutchman Mine in Arizona. Now, it's near Apache Junction, east of Phoenix, Arizona, near Wickenburg. It's in a set of mountains called the Superstition Mountains. Now, some Apaches believe that the hole leading down into the lower world, or hell, basically, is located in the Superstition Mountains. So if you go there, you might be going into a hole into hell, but we aren't here for hell holes. No, we're here for cursed treasure. Now, the curse comes from the Apache. Now, they said they knew the mountains were filled with gold, but the vengeful god of thunder, I um, look, I'm just going to assume they don't mean Thor, the vengeful god of thunder warned them to stay away from the gold, and anyone trying to take it would be cursed. All righty, so this, uh, the Spaniard Francisco Vasquez de Coronado he attempted to mine for it, but when his men began turning up dead and mutilated and all other kinds of really, care, you know, like scary, weird crap, he said, uh, uh, nah, I'm not going to do that anymore. And the mountains are called Superstition Mountains. So, the curse. So, we got the curse out of the way. We got the mountain name out of the way. Let's talk about some people that met with the curse, I should say. In 1870s, a Dutchman named Jacob Waltz, who, fun fact, wasn't even Dutch, but German, um, a guy named Jacob Waltz, if he even existed at all, was said to have located the mine, the mine in the mountains through the aid of a Peralta descendant. Now, this part of the story, though, I believe is false because the Peralta man is a combination of tall tales. This one about a man that discovered the Peralta stones which I'm pretty sure I've talked about on previous episodes, so already this story's off to a bad start. But let's keep with Waltz. 
So Jacob Waltz is said to have found this huge vein of gold, so big that he was actually hiding large quantities of gold up in the mountains for later withdrawal, but was either killed by the Apaches or most of his party was killed by the Apaches and he made it out or him and some of the party were killed by the Apaches, but somebody made it out. Anyhow, supposedly the area that this happened at is called Massacre Grounds up in the Superstition Mountains, but somehow word got out. Somebody made it out. Word got out about this huge vein of gold and all the gold still hidden in the mountains. So people started searching the area. Legend says, again, another legend, grain of salt thing, that the Apache actually destroyed the mine opening so that no one could ever find it again. But, um, so that was like in the 1870s, right? All right, let's move, let's move in time. Since I'm liking this now, let's cut to 1931. Just for a second. Then we're going to go to 1919. Just wait. You'll find out why. All right. So treasure hunter Adolf Ruth acquires a treasure map, actually a bunch of treasure maps that date back to the period of the Mexican Revolution, 1909 to 1923. It was actually Adolf's son, Erwin, who actually provided his map, these maps, this stack of maps to his father. Now, the maps were part of a generous donation given to Irwin for saving the life of a Mexican officer. So they were like, hey, here you go. This could be really valuable. Now, the real story is that he didn't go directly to the Superstition Mountains. A lot of sites say Adolf went, thanks for the maps, and went to the uh, Superstition Mountains. That's not true. The real story is that Adolf started his search with the first map for lost gold in California in the Anzo Borrego Desert near Warner's Hot Springs and the Borrego Mountain. That was the first map. He was like, this one feels real. I'm going to check out this one first. It was there that Adolf broke his hip and almost lost his life on December 22nd, 1919. All right, so we're back into 1919. He's recuperating in a San Diego hospital in 1919. He starts looking at the other maps, and he's like, wait. I didn't notice this about this map. I think this is the actual Waltz map now since lost to time. He's like, I think I found it. So he gets better and he heads to the Superstition Mountains in 1931. So we're back in 1931. He arrived in Arizona in the middle of May 1931 and convinced a couple of like cowboy prospectors at this ranch to pack him into the mountains, to go with them right into the mountains. Leroy Purnell and Jack Heenan packed, uh, oh crap, Adolf, sorry, I almost blanked at his name, packed Adolf into a place called Willow Springs in West Boulder Canyon around June 14th, 1931. This is really documented. These, this part of the story, you got names, you got dates, you got everything, locations. So he's in the Willow Springs in the West Boulder area Canyon around June 14th, 1931, when Adolf disappears. So the owner of that nearby ranch where he got the two guys to go with them says, um, this is weird. I haven't really heard from Adolf. He's going to be back in a couple of days for supplies. Something's up. So he went out looking for him and they discovered that not only was Adolf missing, but the camp was abandoned for a few days. So he rides back into town to the authorities who send out a search party for Adolf. For 45 days, they search for Adolf. And then 
they discover Adolf's skull. On December 10th, 1931, Deputy Sheriff Jeff Adams and William A. Barkley found the remainder of Ruth's skeleton in uh, January of 1932. They find the skull in December of 31. It, the, in, in, you know, like a few weeks later, they find the rest of his, his skeleton. The skeleton was in a small tributary on the east slope of the Blacktop Mesa. Now, despite what a lot of sites want you to think, the reason his skull was separated from his body was because of scavengers like coyotes, despite what they want you to think. He was not decapitated, and no note was found in his skull saying, Vini, Vidi, Vici. I, I came, I saw, I conquered in Latin. The consensus of the search party at that time was that he got lost, dehydrated, and died. There is a very weird thing, though. There is an unsigned, still unsigned, and unverified copy of Dr. Alex Brickla's report about Adolf's skull. The report says that Adolf died of a gunshot wound to the head. But the, uh, the Arizona authorities, the authorities in the area, say, I don't think that this report is accurate or legit in any way, shape, or form. They think the report was done to try and, like, you know, build up the media reports about the, you know, the Dutchman's mine, basically, the lost Dutchman mine. So that seems to be very odd. I'll give you that. It is very weird that there is an unsigned death report, whatever you want to call it, certificate, about his skull, that he died of a gunshot wound, point blank to the back of the head, but nothing verifies it. There are also a lot of sites that say that that uh, Vini Vidi Vici wasn't actually in his skull, but it was in his wallet back in camp. And a lot of people say that's proof that he came, he saw the treasure, and he got the treasure and then was killed for the treasure. Big grain of salt on that one as well. All righty. So let's see. Let's move from there. <laughs> To sometime in the 1940s, it's very unclear, really, and frankly, at this point, I was like, I don't know, 1940s is close enough for me, when treasure hunter James A. Cravey made an attempt to locate the gold mine, but was also later found dead. Grain of salt time, his headless body was discovered first. It wasn't until six months later that his skull was found. I can't prove any part of that. A lot of the sites want to make it seem like everyone I'm about to tell you that searched for the treasure were found with their skulls separated from their bodies. Again, could have been. Chances are it's because of coyotes. Alrighty, so from there, let's move to February 1951. Dr. John Burns, a physician from, or from Oregon, was found shot to death on Superstition Mountain. There you go. That one is shot to death. The official ruling, though, was that the death was accidental. It was an accidental shooting. He wasn't murdered, basically. All right, from there, we go to 1952. Joseph Kelly from Dayton, Ohio, tried to find the mine. Boom, never seen alive again. His body was eventually found near Weaver's Needle two years after he disappeared. Some sites, or most sites, really say he'd been shot in the head and that his body was separated from his head. That same year, 1952, two California boys named Ross Blay and Charles Harshbarger vanish in the Superstition Mountains. Nothing found. 
1955, Charles Massey, who was, hunt, who was out hunting with a 22 rifle, was found shot between the eyes by a heavy caliber rifle bullet. Again, the coroner said this was an accidental death resulting from a ricochet, a hunting accident, basically. January 1956, this guy from Brooklyn, New York, reported to police that his brother, Martin Zewolfo, who he believed was out searching for the lost Dutchman mine, had been missing for several weeks. A month later, his body was found with a bullet hole above his right temple. Although his gun was found near under the body, the death was ruled suicide. A lot of people say, well, then how did his gun get under his body? Well, he fell on it after he shot himself. The death was ruled as suicide. Then, 1958, a deserted campsite was discovered over the northern parts of the mountains. Here's, this one's bizarre. This one is weird. Things like cooking tools, cleaning supplies, a Geiger counter, some personal letters were left behind, and some blood-soaked sheets. None of the party was ever found. 1959, two men by the name of Stanley Hernandez and Benjamin Ferreira went out looking for the lost Dutchman mine. They, they said, we found it. We are, we're rich. Look at this. We found all this gold. Well, what they discovered was called pyrite, fool's gold, if you don't know what that is. Um, so they start freaking out about like, oh, my God, we found all this gold. We're going to be rich. We're going to be rich. And Stanley ends up killing Benjamin and then going to jail for it. Uh, same year, 1959, Robert St. Marie was attempting to drill a hole all the way through Weaver's Needle when he was killed by a prospector named Edward Piper. Two months later, Piper was found dead. Nothing too really spooky about that. He was found dead because of a perforated ulcer. All righty, we're into the 60s. October 1960, a group of hikers found a headless skeleton near the foot of a cliff on Superstition Mountain. Four days later, the investigation determined it belonged to an Austrian student named Franz Herrier, who was out looking for the treasure. Five days later, another skeleton was found, which was identified the next month to be that of William Richard Harvey, a painter from San Francisco, uh, California, also out looking for the treasure. January 1961, a family picnicking near the edge of the mountain, because that's where you want to go for a picnic. You want to go to a mountain that seems to be just covered with skeletons and headless corpses. Yeah, that, that seems relaxing. So this family uh, start picnicking near the edge of the mountain, discover the body of Hilmer Charles Bowen buried underneath the sand. That's what you get, family. Uh, he was a Utah prospector, had been shot in the back, out looking for the treasure. Two months later, still in 1961, another prospector from Denver, Colorado, named Walter J. Mowry, was found in Needle Canyon. He was shot to death. They ruled it as suicide. Sure. Some sites say his body was bullet-ridden, so that doesn't seem like a suicide to me, but we'll keep going. There's so many. Um, five days later, another skeleton was found, identified as... Oh, wait, nope, I said that one already. That's the, that's the painter from San Francisco, sorry. Fall of 1961, prospector Jay Clapp tried to find the mine. He vanishes in July. Then, in 1964, three years later, they found his skeleton missing its head. 1963, a man named Vance Bacon, who was working to tunnel through Weaver's Needle, fell to his death, but some sites say... There were a bunch of rifle shots and indications of foul play. I don't know about that. 
1964, brothers Richard and Robert Cremus were found dead at the bottom of a high cliff. That same year, an elderly couple was found murdered in an automobile at the base of the mountain. 64, um, no, moving on 70, sorry, 1970. We're going to jump all the way to 1970. A prospector named Al Morrow was killed by a boulder that fell into a tunnel that he was digging. Now, there are a lot, I'm going to pause right here on the deaths for a moment. There are a lot of sites that say, there's a bunch of weird things that happen up in Superstition Mountains. Like when you're around hiking up in there, boulders seem to start, like if someone was pushing boulders on, like down to you, down to where you are from the from the top of the mountain, the, like boulders just seem to be pushed by nobody. Or it's a freaking mountain and boulders are rolling down mountains and that's what happens in mountains. But a lot of sites say that it's something paranormal. The curse is actually something paranormal that actually pushes boulders and crushes a bunch of people. Uh, let's see, where were we? Let's see. Ah, here we go. 1973, Charles Lewing shoots Ladislas Guero at a campsite, claiming self-defense. Uh, 76, a guy was out looking for the treasure. A prospector named Howard Polling was found dead of a gunshot wound. Uh, 77, Dennis Brown found dead, gunshot wound. 78, Manuel Valdez was murdered up in the mountains. They don't really say if he was looking for the treasure. 1980, the skeleton of a man named Rick Fenning was found. Supposedly he was out looking for the treasure. 84, a prospector named Walt Gasler, who had been searching for the treasure most of his life, was found dead in the Superstition Mountains. Now, in his pack was gold ore, later discovered to be identical to that of the uh, ore that Jacob Waltz had found and had on him. That one's interesting. That one kind of ties that there is a big vein of gold up in the mountains. Alrighty, from 80, from 1984, let's jump all the way ahead to 2009. Jesse Capen dies in the mountains trying to find the gold, and that's the low. That's the newest one I can find. The newest death that I can find for the Lost Dutchman mine was 2009. Many Dutchman mine experts say that at least 600 people have lost their lives trying to find the treasure. I don't know if that number is accurate. I was trying to go through all the different sites, and after a while, I was like, Jesus, all right, we've hit enough. This curse is strong. We've hit enough uh, enough deaths. This is fine. This is plenty. Um, maybe 600 people did die. This mountain seems to be just taking people. It just seems to be just littered with skeletons. Like, if you just, like, were driving by it, you could look up in the mountain, and it would just be nothing but skeletons all over it. So... I don't know. Um, how about you don't search for this one? Any listeners in the Arizona area or wanting to go to the Arizona, just don't search for it. I lost count on how many deaths I did read about, but I can tell you is the curse number is high on this one, so just don't, okay? Let's, let's leave the lost Dutchman mine lost. Unless you really love skeletons. If you like... Every year you go and buy a bunch of skeletons from like Home Depot or something for your front yard and you're getting sick of spending so much money on plastic skeletons. I don't know. Go here. Go on, go up to this mountain and just start picking skeletons off the mountain. You don't even need the Lost Dutchman mine. You would have you could be selling skeletons for the rest of your life. So just just do that. That seems like seems like a lot of curse for just some gold. But I'm not a gold guy. I don't you know, I've got a gold ring that says Paranormal Almanac on it and that's cool, but I'm not like I'm not Mr. T in it over here. I don't need that much gold. All righty. 
with that death toll, with the lost Dutchman mind just picking off people left and right, people that are like not even looking for the treasure apparently, just hey, you're in the Superstition Mountains, I'm gonna kill you. Let's let's uh let's wrap it up on cursed treasures for this episode. And yes, there are many, many more cursed treasures out there waiting to be found. But what I liked about this episode was that each treasure on here technically is still out there to be found. If you really, really wanted to, they're all out there to be found. Look, I love a treasure as much as the next person. But I don't need a curse killing me, so it's just not worth it for me to, like, wander the hills by the Hollywood Bowl as soon as I finish recording this episode in hopes to stumble across a little leather-bound thing of treasure. Yeah, $3.2 million? Sounds great. Love to have it. That'd be that'd be cool. I could I could use that money, but I don't know. I'm just not inclined to drop everything and head on over to the Hollywood Bowl and just start metal detecting around. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll get a metal detector and actually search for the treasure for a little bit. I don't necessarily need the curse part of it, but you know, maybe I will. Who knows? Look, I think I'd much rather be poor and alive than dead and have my name read by some other idiot doing their own podcast from their house. You know, I already know how to do poor and alive. I do that fairly well. I'm fine with that. All right. With that said, any of you guys, any of these treasures new to you? I'll start with that one. Cause like I said, that Hollywood bowl one, I really, the Coingo pass treasure, I really didn't know about it for that long. I think it's a very cool treasure. Any of these treasures new to you? Any of these treasures make you go, well, shit, I kind of want to go out and look for that. That seems cool. I live by Charles Island. I live by Superstition Mountain. I live by Coanga Pass. I'll go looking for some treasure. Huh? Did I inspire anybody to be the next Curse of Oak Island? Maybe that's how I do it. Maybe I do the Curse of the Coanga Pass treasure, and then it's just me. I got a brother. I can bring my brother out here. Me and my brother trying to find treasure. They don't find crap, and they've been doing it for, like, what, eight years? Shit, I can find nothing for eight years. I can dig a bunch of holes and go, well, nothing in that hole either. We're getting closer, though. You know, I can do that. I don't know. Um, so what do you think? Anybody going to go out there looking for the treasure? Anybody think the treasure's still out there? With all of the construction that's been done in the Coanga Pass, is there even a possibility that that treasure is still there? Or was it scooped up by some, like, you know, construction equipment and just dumped in a hole somewhere. It could still be out there, but it's not anywhere near it used to be. And it could be covered up by the Hollywood freaking bowl. I mean, you're not digging under the bowl. What do you think? Treasure, huh? Curses, huh? It's craziness. Well, hope you guys like this one. Like I said, I love these kind of episodes because it's got the curses. It's a little bit paranormal. It's got the treasure, which is always fun to talk about. And uh, frankly, it's my show, so I figured let's do another episode about it. Alrighty, once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. I am a
Yeah, what up, sir? What's 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 up, s